All right, we're back. Two hours under the belt here. We've um, made it. You know, I, 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 I don't have a cold or something. This is not Phil Williams. That's why I don't sound like him. Bob Thomas in for Phil Williams this morning. Phil, a little bit under the weather. He'll be back on Monday, I'm sure. And Monday's a holiday, by the way. This hour is going to be somewhat of um, uh, informative, also a history lesson, if you will. February 14th, 40 years ago, the FBI walked into United American Bank of uh, downtown Knoxville here. And what they uh, eventually found was the fourth biggest bank failure in U.S. history. And I, I asked uh, my friends, uh, I, uh, there's a group of retired FBI agents live still live here in Knoxville, and uh, a wealth of information. These gentlemen involved in so many things. I've had them on talking about um, various cases in the past. And, and the, the, uh, the case agent on this is a gentleman who still lives here as well. He's also, as a matter of fact, the former um, Knoxville police chief, uh, his name is Sterling Owen, and we welcome him to the show this morning. Sir, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Bob. Glad to have you with us. Appreciate you taking the time. I know it's kind of last minute, but I really think that you have to learn from things that happened in the past, and this was a big one 40 years ago. And what I want to start off with, Sterling, is tell everybody, how you got started, You how you got in the FBI, and, and why you got in the FBI, and, and how many years, and, you know, in 60 seconds or less. <laughs> it's a, it's a squeeze, squeeze 23 years in 60 seconds. Exactly. We, we, we can do that. We, we, we can do that. Uh, I actually uh, was recruited for the FBI uh, by other senior agents while I was working in a, uh, an accounting firm in, in, uh, Cynthiana, Kentucky. Mm. And, and so the local agent knew that I had an interest in the FBI and had, uh, uh essentially came to me and, and asked if I'd have any interest in going full time. Mm-hmm. And, so over a period of time, I was recruited, applied, was successful in, in being uh, accepted, and that led to my uh, becoming an FBI agent. But your background was accounting, is it what you said? Yes. Uh, I, was, I was not a CPA, but I was working for a CPA firm. Mm-hmm. And there was a period of time, Bob, that, that the uh, FBI actually recruited only lawyers and accountants. Really? And now that was, that was a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. But, and of course that later changed uh, to qualified individuals, but they still, uh, they liked having the, uh, finance end of investigations, uh, as well as, uh, the lawyers who, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, they uh, needed to be on board with us as well. Yeah, I understand that. Now, when you became an FBI agent, where did were you um, placed? Where, where were you stationed? Well, that, good question. I was initially stationed in Jacksonville, Florida. Spent uh, five and a half years there. Then was transferred to Chicago. 
where, and we'll get to it, but where a number of our uh, agents that worked on the butcher case with me came from. So we all passed through Chicago. Uh, I went from Chicago then to Knoxville, which uh, I came in in 81, and then uh, stayed here the remainder of my FBI career. So, uh, and I want to ask, um, I, I, we got breaks we'll be hitting here, so just uh, have patience with me, but we're going to get as much, all of this as we can. Where were you? The Can you remember the day where somebody said, hey, we've got something that may be coming up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Do you remember when you first heard that? That would have been, yes, I do. Um, that would have been, uh, not the specific day, but that would have been in 1981. And what had actually happened, I had a, we have a process or did have a process in the FBI where you could uh, put in, request a transfer, we call it Office of Preference, mm-hmm. and you could put in for that, and then the FBI had the, at least that background to know that that may be something that uh, that me as an agent would like to do. And so I had put in to go to Louisville, Kentucky, from Chicago, uh, weather being a lot better for one thing, mm-hmm. but uh, I had put in to go to Louisville. And so the FBI came back, hit our headquarters, came back and said, well, we don't have any opening spaces for agents to be transferred to Louisville, but we have uh, a World's Fair that's coming to the Knoxville area. Knoxville is fairly close to Louisville. Are you interested in going to Knoxville? And I said, um, absolutely. And so it was right around the time that it was uh, becoming uh, I guess you would say preparatory type uh, uh, operation for equipping the Knoxville office mm-hmm. for additional agents to be able to work uh, any cases that might arise from the World's Fair. So when you so when you moved here, really wasn't uh, about the banking. A failure at that time it just it was right before that that you moved because basically the world's fair was going to be here right that's exactly correct and and the it's like which came first the chicken or the egg and in this particular case uh we were coming in just ramping up to get ready for what traditionally occurred and that was fraud associated with a lot of uh countries that uh might participate in the World's Fair. Mm-hmm. And and so I came in, in March of 81, and, and of course the uh, World's Fair hadn't actually started yet. So they said, okay, you've got a financial background. We've got this small bank up in uh, Mafala by the name of uh, City and County Bank of Campbell County. It has failed. And the FDIC are waiting for the FBI to put somebody up there with their people to do an investigation of the, that particular bank. It was $28 million bank. Okay. 
All right, we're talking with Sterling Owen, who um, was with the FBI back in the 80s, 40 years ago, and very involved in uh, what happened here when the United American Bank building the Butcher Empire uh, collapsed. And we're going to um, come back with more of him. Sterling, hang tight with me. We're come back and get into what exactly happened, how it all started unfolding. Yep. 822 from News Talk 98.7. Our uh, special guest this uh, hour is Sterling Owen, who uh, was the case agent when 40 years ago this week, agents walked into the United American Bank and found the fourth largest bank failure in U.S. history. Sterling, what led up? When did you, as it started unfolding, when did you all know there was a problem at United American Bank? Well, as uh, we discussed before the break, uh, I had been in, uh, assigned a bank failure in Campbell County, by the name of City and County Bank of Campbell County, mm-hmm. and I went up to do that investigation uh, with the FDIC. And as time went on, and I interviewed people in connection with that bank failure. Uh, the witnesses uh, frequently would say, I don't know why you're investigating this bank. They're doing the same thing that the butchers are doing at all of their banks. So I started hearing that type of uh, information and then started doing background on who the butchers were because I didn't really know at that time. And from that, uh, as we worked the uh, Campbell County Bank case, we started to build the foundation for investigating the butchers. Mm. And so, so that's kind of the way it uh, fell down. This was uh, the, the butcher bank case was as a result of the Campbell County bank case failure. So when you take over a bank, when, when it, who makes that decision? FDIC? I mean, who, who, who says, hey, we got to come in and uh, take over this bank, and we need your assistance on this. Who who does that? Well, that's you come up with some good questions, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> that, as I am told, uh, now we didn't play a role in this. We, the FBI, did not play a role in it. But as I understand it, the state of Tennessee. Uh, is the one who can pull the certificate of operation for the bank. So, and the way it normally goes down is the FDIC comes in as the regulator. They do a giant audit of that particular bank. If they find that the bank is insolvent, then what they have the right to do is to pull the state charter through saying we're not going to insure the assets of this bank anymore. So, because as you've seen probably in other banks, a little sign every now and then on the counter says that assets insured by FDIC or some such language. And, uh, and so they actually insure the, our deposits that are in an FDIC insured bank. So mm-hmm. if they don't insure the assets, right. then the customers are left out to dry. Well, on February fourteenth, uh, nineteen eighty-three, did you did you walk in the bank on that day? 
No, that was actually the FDIC mm-hmm. uh, personnel that went in there first. And uh, we were doing, uh, as a matter of fact, we were doing our investigation, not really knowing at the time exactly what FDIC was doing. FDIC was doing their audits, uh, not really knowing what the FBI was doing because we were not disclosing the fact we were were investigating them. Mm-hmm. And, and so when the FDIC went in, on uh, February 14th, it was exclusively FDIC, but we all immediately joined hands because we had a common goal, right. and that was to determine if there was any fraud, and obviously there was. And when you we have f- the fraud that was found there, is it just um, move, money being moved around uh, from bank to bank, or what? What exactly was the fraud? That was the main fraud, and and there were lots of different things. But um, the the uniqueness of this particular case was that the butchers had approximately twenty six, excuse me, twenty seven total banking institutions. Mm -hmm. So that gave them twenty seven pots of money to go to. If the auditors, FDIC, started looking at a particular bank and and, uh, particular transactions within that bank, what the butchers would do would just, and I use the word uh, sell, but move loans from one bank to the other bank, giving the impression that the loans were solvent. Mm -hmm. But in, in reality, they were not. But... FDIC at that time did not put all the banks, the butcher banks, in one pot and look at them from that direction. They looked at them as 27 separate institutions, each one operating on its own. But uh, as, as a result of their case, they changed that. All right, we're talking with Sterling Owen, who was the case agent of the FBI when uh, the Butcher Banking Empire failed 40 years ago this week. We're going to come back and talk more with him. I want to I want to ask you exactly how many people really were committing fraud and hiding it from the other employees of the bank. We'll talk about that when we come back. He was trained in accounting. He recruited by the FBI. He eventually went on to be the Knoxville City Police Chief. But he was the case uh, agent for the FBI 40 years ago this week when everything started to unravel with the United American Bank and the Butcher Banking Empire. Jake Butcher, you know, uh, Sterling Owen is with us. Sterling, um, the, the butchers were very popular. They had just, Jake Butcher had just run for governor. He had the World's Fair, which was seen as a tremendous success that he had pushed and pushed and pulled it off, and people loved it. And the, the, they have beautiful wife and children and a great whirlwind over there in, in Oak Ridge. Was it difficult for you to investigate the butchers because of their popularity? Well, it was no, it was not. 
the main reason being that we were dealing with just facts. And, and I'll give you a quick example. Uh, there was a, a bank loan to a company uh, in one of the outlying counties. Uh-huh. And the borrower uh, had made an arrangement with the, the butchers and or their representatives uh, to borrow some money. And when he did, uh, he the, the, the banker said, why don't you sign some additional notes, promissory notes, uh-huh. and then when your loan, which back in those days, they had a lot of demand notes, there would be 90-day loans, uh, right. six-month loans, things like that. Right. And so they had a lot of those. So the banker said, why don't you sign some some of these blank notes, and rather you have to come to the bank and renew these loans, We'll just do it, send you your copies and whatnot. And so people did that because they trusted their bankers. Mm-hmm. And so what ended up happening, of course, is the bank and or the butchers, they started taking these blank notes that were signed and created new loans. And uh, so when the borrower all of a sudden, of course, they didn't, the borrower didn't know it because they didn't tell him. So uh, when the loan started becoming due and uh, the bankers were trying to scurry around to figure out how to renew those loans without letting anybody know what they were doing, um, then the borrowers started saying, we didn't get the money from this particular loan you're talking about when Mm -hmm. I went out to do the investigation. Mm -hmm. And I said, well... You're exactly right. We and we know where the money went, but we need for you to explain what you did and the fact that you didn't do anything wrong, um, and that uh, the butchers uh, got the money without the borrower's knowledge. How many? How many? Um, uh, when you started investigating this, until somebody was charged with a crime, how long was that? It was from, uh, we started getting the other agents in to assist, and um, that was in the first part of 83. I had already been investigating the case from probably mid-82, and so uh, I think we were probably about a year from starting on the exclusive investigation of the butchers, mm-hmm. uh, and about a, about a year, give or take, um, before the first crew was indicted. How many people do you think, from your investigation, and it could be you know ballpark. I mean, that actually you felt like were committing fraud and knew they were. Um, you know, I'm sure there were people at the bank that that didn't understand what was going on. But how many people was it? Two or three? Was it ten? Was it twenty people that we really felt knew where they were committing fraud every day? Well, another good question. We, we set our goals uh, as investigators on uh, investigating and prosecuting the people who got money improperly i got you if it was if it was the secretary doing what her manager told her to do 
And even though what she was doing was a criminal act, we didn't necessarily pursue them as a, as a, a crime because when we talked to them, found out what their role was, they didn't get any of the money. Uh, in fact, other than performing some administrative tasks, they didn't even know what was going on. Mm-hmm. So, so we tried to keep our eyes on the ball of, uh, where the money was going. And, and we've all heard at one time or another, follow the money. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, uh, how much money uh, was taken um, fraudulently? Well, the, of course, the way we charge uh, violations uh, is a, you know, might be in a variety of ways. So the probably we are talking about uh, obviously millions, mm-hmm. but uh, it wasn't all single dollar loans. Uh, it was you know there might be loans to one person that were fraudulent. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk with Sterling Owen. Sterling, we're going to come back and wrap this up with you in just a moment. Stay with us. We're going to take a break. Eight. 47 of News Talk 98.7. All right, we got about a few we got a few minutes here left here. We're going to wrap up with um, uh, Sterling Owen, um, who is a retired FBI agent, former Knoxville police chief as well. And uh, he um, was at the front, if you will, the front of the uh, Butcher Banking Empire investigation. And uh, Sterling, a couple of quick questions I got for you, because I've heard it a million times in the past 40 years. Well, you know, it was just a political vendetta. Uh, Butcher had run for governor, and the uh, the Republicans were out to get him. I've heard that. I'm sure you've heard it. What do you say to that? Well, I'll I'll say that it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the The bottom line is the individuals responsible for stealing all this money. Uh, were charged with stealing the money. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't uh, something that just somebody said offhand. And, uh, it, it was the real deal. And the uh, many of the victims, which were a lot of the people, the borrowers, the people who were doing business with the banks, mm-hmm. uh, they ended up losing millions of dollars. And so... Uh, it, it just uh, is wrong. I mean, but it's got to make you mad when you hear stuff like that. I think it's just people that are uninformed. And the money that disappeared, or I mean, I'm sure some was recovered, some was spent and just gone. And uh, was any was a what kind of percentage of the money that uh, you feel like was taken was ever recovered? That's hard to say because a lot of the banks were FDIC insured, so mm-hmm. the FDIC had to pay up um, for all the customers that uh, lost money. Mm-hmm. And now, that doesn't mean all of them, because Southern Industrial Banking Corporation, if you remember that name, yeah. that was an uninsured institution right. and was used pretty much as a piggy bank for hiding money from the FDIC insured institutions. So what would happen if 
a fraudulent loan would occur in one of the other 26 banks. FDIC would come in to do an investigation. The uh, butchers would then transfer that particular phony loan to F, uh, to the Southern Industrial Banking Corporation, which was not uh, being audited by FDIC. Because they weren't insured, yeah. Sterling, we got wrap, I got to wrap it up. We got to head into news here, but I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. And what a, uh, I mean, this is something that's going to be beside your resume all your life, isn't it? The uh, uh, butcher banking empire failure. Well, it looks like it. Uh, I got the call <laughs> nice night <laughs> to be here today. There you go. So, uh, I think so, but you know, there were there was a lot of uh, investigation conducted. And, and you asked a question earlier, Bob, and I want to answer fairly quickly. Okay. Uh, you said how many people were charged and things of that nature um, with uh, fraud. And we charged only, as I told you, we charged only those that ended up getting money um, and were the ones that were spending the money. And we tracked the money to wherever its ultimate destination, whether right. it was a, a, a yacht, of Jake's in Florida uh, to uh, all these property purchases and whatnot around the country. Uh, Sterling, I got to go into news. Thank you, sir. Have a wonderful weekend. I appreciate your time. Thank you, and uh, I appreciate your asking about it. All right. News Talk 98.7. We'll be back. TDS has taken fiber internet for business to a new level, increasing our starting speed to 500 meg. Our 100% fiber network delivers the speed your business needs to get ahead. Plus, the unmatched reliability of fiber means you won't lose profits due to a lost connection. With free installation of basic service and a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, the decision is easy. Take your business internet to the next level with TDS. Internet speeds are up to and not guaranteed. Subject to availability. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today is a perfect day to recharge your fitness routine, whether it's cross-training in the gym or training for a hometown half-marathon. A perfect-fitting shoe is the difference maker. Locally owned New Balance Knoxville and their team of fit specialists will help you find your perfect fit, ensuring world-class comfort, stability, and endurance. Exactly what you need to take on everything this day has to offer. Visit New Balance Knoxville today, located in the Suburban Shopping Center, Kingston Pike, just west of West Ham Mall. Every small business owner knows business happens everywhere. The office, the warehouse, or on the road. And no matter where it takes you, there's one solution to help your business thrive. Comcast Business Complete Connectivity. It's the largest, fastest, reliable network with advanced gig speed Wi-Fi and cyber threat protection in one solution. Plus, add Comcast Business Mobile and you can save up to 60% a year on your wireless bill. Get started for just $40 a month for 12 months with no annual contract when you add mobile. And ask how to get up to a $750 prepaid card. My 291 is now Yep, you're going places, and when you get there, be ready to do business. The Complete Connectivity Solution, from the company that powers more small businesses than any other provider. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Ends 2-21-2023. Restrictions apply. Requires Ecobill and AutoPay. New 100 megabits per second internet and Comcast Business Security Edge customers only. Equipment taxes and fees extra. After 12 months, regular rates apply. Gig internet required for gig Wi-Fi. Mobile savings compares pricing of top three carriers. When you want a brand new kitchen, there's nothing to it. There's a brand new way to do it. Three-day kitchen and bath. Rochelle talks about her experience with three-day kitchen and bath. It was a wonderful experience. I had heard about them on the radio. 
they come out to your house. They let you know what they do. Uh, they let you pick out your features, your colors, and then they come into your home. The morning they start, they walk you through this is what's going to happen, and you leave for a few days, and you come home, and it's done. Was it easy? It made it easy because you're not in the middle of a mess for two or three months. Left on a Tuesday morning, and it was done on a Thursday night. We came home Friday morning early because we were so excited. What was your reaction when you first saw it? Wow. Wow. It's about time. Three days or less. At Three Day Kitchen and Bath. Paid for by Christian Care Ministry. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge, but it's also true that people are way more 